Hello one, hello all. This is Andrew Cox on a very special episode of Great Quarter Guys, where finance and freight meet. This is FreightWaves Live at Home. I'm your host, Andrew Cox. Of course, this is with me, Kevin Hill. It's an exciting morning. Very. It's been fast-paced. We're, we're running around like uh, like chickens with their head cut off around it here. It is. It's like a, a – well, it is a real, real TV set, uh, but it's, it's got all the action and movement today of, of just bouncing around and, and everyone pitching in. And a great job by the crew here uh, keeping everything on track, keeping all, us on track, our time on track, definitely. Yeah, we we, uh, we need a little help in that department every time, so yes. uh, shout out to them. But like I said, this is a great quarter, guys. For anyone who hasn't watched, uh, we typically do a business segment breakdown where we'll uh, we'll break down a company, a transportation company. Uh, we'll look at their earnings whenever it's earnings season. That's what we've been doing for the last couple of weeks. But rather than do an earnings segment today, we actually have a very special guest. We're going to have Ben Gordon, the founder of Cambridge Capital, on in a few minutes. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about innovation and and what where the freight industry is going in the next couple of years and how COVID-19 is going to impact. Uh, where investment's going to be placed in the next couple of years. And, uh, you know, it's going to affect it in a large degree over the, over the next couple of, week, couple of years. And we're going to find out more and more about that from, from Ben here in the, the few minutes. Uh, but as always... Yeah, we typically do... Uh, something I started a couple weeks ago is this uh, segment called One Good Piece, and it is my attempt to find uh, one good piece of economic data uh, out there in the world right now because we've had so much poor economic data the last couple weeks that it's been uh, very difficult to find one. And for anybody watching last week, I do apologize. You may get on to me because I'm using the same one as last week because I got the data updated, and it's even better. Uh, this is the Bank of America debit and credit card spending. I just talked a little bit about it on FreightWaves uh, now. This is really constructive for me. Uh, if you look at this Bank of America spending data, you see an immediate bump uh, from the stimulus check, especially in online retail and online uh, electronics. Uh, but you see that consumer spending has bottomed in every category, uh, which is really good. You know, we're going to have this data updated weekly. I'll give you another update uh, on Thursday, probably in the DHL supply chain pricing power index. But either way, consumers are starting to get out and they're starting to spend some money that has not happened in the last couple months. So I'm excited to see it. I, I love this data. It's so fascinating because it gives you year over year by week. So it's a weekly data set. It's all year over year. So you have a, a sense of the, the troughs, so the peaks and troughs of it. And as we said, it's the last two or three weeks, it's bottomed out, kind of like with the outbound tender volume index. And it's it's on the uptick. And it's interesting, what hasn't bottomed out is travel, entertainment, uh, restaurants, not really bottomed out. But, you know, retail spending has has bottomed out as well as well one of the big bright spots throughout this whole thing is home improvement and, and construction you know the home depots the lows uh, of the world the ace hardwares are all doing really good right now yeah, it may be some time before we see durable goods come back online uh, to to the full extent as it was pre-crisis. But uh, we're likely we're going to see retail spending pop up pretty quickly. But uh, that is the one good piece for this week. We'll, we'll have another one for you next week. But let's go ahead and let's bring in Ben Gordon. Let's do it. Uh, he is the the founder of Cambridge Capital. Uh, he will be joining us. I think he's in Palm Springs right now. Ben, how are you? Great, Palm Beach, sunny Palm, Palm Beach, Beach, Florida. Looking great here. Yeah. <laughs> well, Good to hear, Ben. Why don't we uh, let's start a little bit with the history of Cambridge Capital. Give us the uh, give us the ninety second elevator pitch. Sure, happy to. And Andrew, Kevin, great to be here. Uh, I love that Bank of America data that you shared. It was very compelling and it certainly highlights what's happening in the economy. So, a little bit about us. We're a private equity firm that invests in great companies in transportation, logistics, and supply chain technology. We're entrepreneurs at heart. I've st- started four companies over the last twenty plus years. Um, 
21 years ago, I started a company called Threeplex, which was one of the first SaaS logistics companies. Uh, we called it something else then. The, the names changed. But the, the fundamental premise was using the Internet to deliver TMS capabilities to 3PLs. And uh, Venture Back raised $28 million, sold it. It's now part of Maersk. Uh, realized that it was more fun for me to work with other CEOs building their businesses. And although I've been an entrepreneur of 4X and uh, have you know partners who have built other businesses too, our, our primary focus has been investing in great entrepreneurs in all areas of transportation and logistics. We were fortunate to be an early investor in XPO, Brad Jacobs, nine years ago, uh, when it was really a startup, and then the acquisition of a $10 million EBITDA expedited freight business called Express One, of course, now a $16 billion powerhouse in, in logistics. And uh, I, we take and deserve no credit for that. Obviously, Brad was a, a fantastic CEO and did a fantastic job, but got to play a small role and, and, and be a, a small part of that. Um, we've been an investor in other great companies, Grand Junction, which is e-commerce and last mile logistics. Another great entrepreneur, Rob Howard, whom we backed in 2015. Uh, Rob did a tremendous job and ultimately sold the business to Target, really giving Target an e-commerce platform to have a competitive alternative to Amazon Prime. Uh, we're closing right now on another uh, business that we're excited about. And so really, for us, it's it's all about looking for great entrepreneurs, building great businesses in important areas of supply chain. And that's us in a nutshell. Well, Ben, that is a, that's a great elevator pitch. Thanks for that. I know uh, XBO and Grand Junction, I've read, are two of your best. You, you obviously know a lot about this industry. You've been in it a long time, started a bunch of companies on your own, uh, helped out a lot of big ones. Let's we know what's on the top of everyone's mind. Everyone wants to talk about COVID-19. Let's take a little bit of a different angle and, and just jump right in. I have a feeling that there's going to be a changing of burners here, so to say, on some of the advancements in technologies that think people have been investing in over the last couple of years. Do you think there's any inve- investments and in, in innovations that are going to be, have to be put on the back burner because of this COVID-19 downturn? Well, I do. I think this is a double-edged sword. On the one hand, clearly COVID-19, in addition to being a humanitarian disaster and an economic disaster, is a uh, is causing ripple effects in the world of supply chain. On the one hand, of course, it's killing companies that are asset-based uh, or that depend on global or extended supply chains. So, um, air, ocean, uh, you know, the 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 carriers as well as the brokers actually. Um, but it's been actually a catalyst for growth for many tech companies. And I know Craig Fuller posted on uh, Twitter a couple of days ago that that uh, venture firm that he talked to uh, says that his portfolio companies are doing better. We see the same thing. Uh, right now, we're closing on an investment in a logistics technology company that grew 5x last year and expects to grow another 2.5 to 3x this year. Um, and the data actually over the last two months um, has been going up. And why is that? Well, I think, number one, it's because companies like the idea of technology that reduces labor, that reduces risk, that reduces the exposure caused by, uh, of course, human contact, which is the vector by which the COVID-19 disease spreads. Um, number two, if you can use technology to boost automation, boost productivity, boost margins at a time when everybody's margins need help, that's fantastic. Um, and then number three, I think particularly for technologies um, uh, such as robotics, drones, automation, um, or artificial intelligence or software that uh, that drive increased productivity while reducing the need uh, for labor. You know, like if you're a business that can double without having to add people, 
uh, and therefore without having to add the risk of those people getting sick, getting exposed and, and spreading the disease, you know, why wouldn't you do that? So um, the, the interesting dynamic here right now is we've seen COVID-19 accelerate the pain that's being experienced by many traditional transportation companies, again, particularly on the asset side, particularly on the global side. Um, but we're also seeing it help and accelerate growth of certain companies on the technology side. And so I don't want to be macabre about that. I don't want to celebrate that. It's a, it's a horrible thing that we're going through. But there is a silver lining for those companies in certain areas of logistics technology. Certainly, Ben. You mentioned you've mentioned a few of the kind of the hot topics of future innovations uh, in the supply chain industry. It was from AI to robotics and automation. Uh, is there anything that that is on the cusp of becoming uh, that, that's on the cusp of materially changing supply chains that people aren't really talking about right now? Yeah. Uh, so there are the obvious things that everybody likes to talk about. Everybody loves talking about drones and robotics and you know digital freight brokerage and those things for sure are important and they matter. Um, but there are some more subtle changes taking place below the surface. Um, I'll give an example. AI is one of those things that <laughs> everybody loves to talk about it, but very few people actually understand uh, what AI means and what, what AI does. We're getting involved with a business that provides AI tools to help 3PLs and brokers um, automate a few things. One, um, their ability to uh, sift through all the data that they have and make sense of the carriers with whom they work, uh, who's most likely to be reliable, uh, wh what's the likely uh, pricing going to be, what's the likely availability. And the bottom line is giving a broker the capability to make decisions more quickly. Well, that's pretty cool because, you know, if you're a broker, your lifeblood depends on being able to make quick, accurate decisions and to push that to the front lines. Um, and so if you can put more power and capability in the hands of the frontline guys who are talking to customers or talking to carriers on a regular basis, great, that's fantastic. So um, I don't know how sexy that is. That's more of a kind of behind the scenes capability uh, than, than something that would necessarily be on the, you know, on the front of the paper or the front of <laughs> FreightWaves.com or, or otherwise. But, uh, but, but I think that's, that's pretty important. I also think um, while a lot of the um, press has gone to the digital brokers that are trying to displace logistics companies, in fact, logistics companies are as important today as they ever were. And technology that makes logistics companies more powerful is something that uh, again, may not be as sexy, but, but may ultimately be more important. We see that in brokerage. We see that in freight forwarding. Um, we see that in a number of areas across logistics. So software that makes the incumbent uh, logistics companies do a better job, uh, we, we think is going to do very well. And that was really the original premise for 3Plex over 20 years ago. So uh, it's an idea that's been around for a long time. But uh, the headline is always about how technology replaces the middleman rather than improving the middleman. Um, and I think that's an important distinction. You bring up a really good point, Ben. Uh, this is Kevin. So going back into, you know, AI and really the, the big data that the, we're seeing right now, this tsunami of, of data that's hitting logistics and, and freight, what are some of the technologies you see, uh, kind of going back onto that point, uh, that, that can 
that they can determine there's so much data I, I guess the question is there's so much data out there uh, how do you really manage it how do you find out or, or determine what's the most important data and what is just noise in the system yeah it's a great question I remember <laughs> I had a professor in college 27 years ago and I remember saying to him this will make me sound old I guess uh, said you know there's this new technology coming out uh, called the internet and he said I don't want to hear about any new information. I have too much information already. <laughs> and, and that stayed with me <laughs> because I think that's kind of how we all feel. There's this massive surge of data. And as, as ridiculous as that quote sounds, you know, the truth is that we're awash in, in data, um, too much data, but not enough analysis. And so your question's a great question. How do you make sense of everything that's out there? And how do you focus on the handful of areas that really matter? Well, I think um, number one, there are technologies that do a better job of capturing more data. Um, and then number two, there are technologies that do a better job of making sense of what's out there. So uh, there are AI tools that will sift through the data and look for trend lines. I mean, obviously what, what FreightWaves is doing with, with Sonar is, is, is a great example of that. But if you can sift through all the data and then be able to say to, uh, to your customer, whether that's a 3PL, a shipper, or a carrier, look, number one, here are the trend lines in terms of pricing, or number two, uh, here are the trend lines in terms of uh, what capacity will be available uh, and won't, and then number three, uh, allow you to start making better decisions. You know that's fantastic, and and so um, look, I think I think um, that's fundamentally what AI and big data is all about. We're an investor in a company called Bring, which is fantastic in this field for last mile. So what they do is they go to companies like Walmart, McDonald's, Panera, and other big brands, and they say, look, let us be the platform for orchestrating how you handle last mile. So the, the data um, for inbound logistics, for uh, direct-to-consumer or direct-to-store, and, and, and the analytics around that. It's not surprising that the CEO of that company came out of a $15 billion big data company called Splunk um, and is really applying what he learned in that field here in logistics. So I think being able to sift through all the noise that's out there to get to the signal is super hard, super important, and super valuable. And we see that in uh, a handful of great companies. Bring, we, we hope and expect will be one that can capture that. Ben, to, to pivot a little bit, to think, thanks for that information. To pivot a little bit, what's your outlook on 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 M and A and private equity and venture capital activity for the remainder of of twenty twenty and, and moving into to twenty twenty one? Sure. So, you know, uh, I like the, the the way I think about venture capital and private equity right now is deep pockets but short arms. Okay, so. There's a lot of money out there, but very selective uh, deployment of that capital. We've seen several deals that were, you know, in the eighth inning, and then uh, the capital partners pulled the plug just, you know, in the last month and a half. Mm -hmm. um, having said that, uh, we're still involved. We're still getting deals done. We're closing one right now, as, as I mentioned. And I think um, while the total magnitude of capital, um, you know, may get squeezed, so la in the last decade, $30 billion of capital came into logistics and supply chain technology realm, okay? Um, the, <laughs> we're not going to see the annualized version of that this year. It's going to be less. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, um, we do see money coming into great disruptive freight tech companies. Valuations are coming down, and, and 
control provisions for investors are going up. Um, but you know what? That probably was going to happen anyhow. I mean, if you look at the last decade, um, 2017, 18, 19 saw the highest valuations in history from a venture capital standpoint. Um, and so there, if you were an entrepreneur, there was probably never a better time to raise money you know, than last year in terms of amount of capital that was available, favorable valuation, favorable terms. Um, so I think that was poised for a pullback anyhow. Um, not like, you know, any of us could have predicted COVID-19, but just based on the normal business cycle. Um, so there are still deals getting done. Valuations have come down and terms have changed. But, you know, fundamentally, for companies that are high quality, achieving strong growth, have the ability to succeed uh, in spite of, or in some cases, uh, with, with help from the impact caused by COVID-19, um, and, you know, with continued long-term growth, those guys will do great. And again, freight tech companies in the areas that I alluded to earlier, whether it's automation, robotics, um, technology that automates, reduces, uh, reduces the, uh, the, the labor intensity of work that's being done, you know, those companies, provided that they're uh, growing and doing well, will be able to raise capital. However, um, fewer of those companies will succeed if they don't have a very clear path to profitability. Something that we're seeing now is the companies that are raising money are either cash flow positive or have a clear plan that ensures they will be cash flow positive without having to raise another round. Now, that doesn't mean that they won't raise another round, but it means that that's got to be a choice and not a necessity. The companies who think this round uh, will simply buy them 12 to 18 months while they continue to burn cash those companies, unfortunately, may find it much more difficult to raise capital. So that's what's happening on the venture side. There's a flight to quality, uh, a smaller number of winners, uh, but those winners will still be able to raise capital and, and ramp up. On the private equity side, a little bit different. Um, private equity side, number one, uh, still plenty of activity, but um, private equity is fundamentally EBITDA multiples to buy large uh, proven companies, and those large proven companies tend to be services businesses and logistics, right? Truck brokerage, freight forwarding, warehousing. Um, and as a category, those companies are all, uh, you know, are all squeezed, right? Now, there are some companies that may be doing better. If you're doing logistics for pharmaceuticals, you're doing better than if it was truck brokerage for automotive, right? Um, but, you know, big picture is a category, you know, the asset light logistics world and transportation logistics, uh, you know, profits are down and multiples are down. You can see that in the public markets uh, as well as in the private markets. So there's a little bit of a, of, a, of a struggle because on the one hand, you have great entrepreneurs who say, hey, if my business last year was worth half a billion dollars and I'm the same guy and I've got the same team and the same capability, I think I'm still worth that half a billion dollars. And then you've got investors saying, hey, that's great, but if your EBITDA is down 20% and multiples should be worth two turns less today than they were you know, pre-COVID-19, well, you know, you, you might be looking at a 40% haircut. And, and so you have this gap between what buyers and sellers expect, uh, and that gap may simply mean that you have a smaller number of deals that takes place for a while. This is what we saw in 2008, 9, and 10. It took really not until 2011 and 12 before the volume of deal activity rebounded to you know, the 2004, 5, 6 levels. So, hey, Ben, we've got a, um, I've got a question from the, uh, yes. from the crowd here. Kevin, you want to read it off for us? Yeah, yeah, Nefrod, uh, not a, I, 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 forgive me, Nefrod. Nefrod, not a Revic, uh, has a question for Ben um, about 
all parts of the logistics industry in North America, and do you think technology and mankind come to a singularity? Will there be more room for mom and pop shops to thrive and stay alive, or will they have be, or will they have to go completely digital and integrate in order to stay alive in this environment? And he's asking this because uh, he's got a small business, uh, and Canada, the United States, is built on. Think of just the people in your circles who own a business and have been affected by technology and, and now COVID-19. So really, is there, will there be room for mom-and-pop shops uh, going forward uh, in, in this techno, technological revolution? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I would I would unpack that in, uh, to two parts. First is, is there a role for mom-and-pops in, in this world? Well, I, I sure hope so. I mean, as somebody who's been an entrepreneur and you know, built for small companies and, and, uh, uh, our, our whole MO is to work with great entrepreneurs, building great businesses from small to midsize to large. So, uh, I, I sure hope so. It's certainly, I mean, it, it is the American dream. Um, I think for, for small companies today, for mom and pops today, one of the greatest tools that's out there is, um, is SaaS technology, software as a service, because, if you look at the world 20 years ago, only the big companies could afford large seven-figure, eight-figure software, and that gave them an unfair advantage, okay? So, like, if you look at the world of TMS, Schneider 20 years ago had a TMS called Summit, and they spent $60 million building it, and it was fantastic, but you weren't going to have access to Summit if you were a small guy. Today, you've got capabilities in the TMS world that are far greater than what Summit represented 20 years ago. And it costs far less because you can get it on a SaaS basis and cost of, of computing power and productivity is so much cheaper. So I think it, it, being able to get smart about what technologies out there and being able to use those kinds of SaaS tools doesn't discriminate based on size. Small guys can use it uh, just as well as big guys. And so I would for sure look at that. The second part of the question is really, you talk about singularity in this fusion between people and technology. Um, and I think that's a great issue because a lot of people have framed what's happening in supply chain technology and tech as a whole as this epic clash between the people and the technology, right? Who's going to win? Is it going to be the big incumbents in, in services and brokerage like uh, CH Robinson or an XPO or an Echo or the technology challengers like a uh, Convoy or a Transfix or a LoadSmart? And I think the real answer is it's not man versus machine, it's man plus machine. So the best companies will be people who are using technology to be more productive. And in fact, uh, that, that's probably what you'll hear from guys like Doug Wagner, who I, I know are speaking uh, here at FreightWaves today. Um, companies that take their great services and combine them with great technology, those guys do great. And by the way, at Cambridge Capital, that's what we look for. We look to invest in great companies uh, that are built by guys in logistics and supply chain who know logistics um, and then who use technology in order to boost their productivity. Hey, Ben, you know, I really the, like that that statement you just made, man plus machine. It actually leads me into a topic I wanted to talk with you about, which was autonomous vehicles. You know, this has been a very highly hyped uh, and, and touted technology for the last few years, but, you know, we've only seen a little bit of, uh, of progress of, of what we think we would get there. And we've seen a lot of layoffs and a lot of closures over the last, especially in 2020. You know, Starsky has, has shut, off, shut down. Kodiak laid off 20% of its workforce. Ike laid off 14% of its workforce. Do you think that, do you think 
that COVID-19 is going to accelerate? I've seen Vishnu, our, our tech reporter, say that he thinks COVID-19 is actually going to increase and, and speed up the process of implementation of uh, autonomous vehicles. Do you think that's true or do you think it's the opposite and it'll actually they'll have to take away from some of those investments? Yeah, I think it's true, but there's some unintended consequences. So it's definitely true that COVID-19 will accelerate the usage of technology to boost automation, including driverless trucks. So for sure that's happening. But it's also true, as I alluded to earlier, that venture capital is less likely to invest in businesses where this round doesn't get the business to cash flow positive. So one of the problems with a, you know, a Starsky or some of the other companies that were really going for it, uh, and I want those guys to succeed, and I want that category to succeed, but raising money when you're on an endless treadmill of capital raised and you're not on the cusp of being able to get to cash flow positive, that's tough under any circumstance, but it's going to be a lot tougher in the current economic climate. So, so I so think ben, the answer think has the... to be someone that can do both. Yeah. So Ben, what do you think the winning strategy is going to be? Do you think it is a, a well-funded upstart or do you think it's a, a legacy provider from outside of logistics like Uber or Amazon coming in? Or I think it's actually likely going to be uh, you know, partnerships between traditional transportation providers like the one with Too Simple and uh, UPS right now. What do you think? Exactly. I think you've got to have both. On the one hand, the automation and the technology that, that boosts productivity we talked about. And on the other hand, uh, the ability to get to cash flow positive quickly. So you can do that in a couple of different ways. One is you can do it with a partnership like a Too Simple plus a UPS. And without getting into the commercial terms, you know, if UPS in exchange for its adoption is generating enough revenue uh, or is willing to in- invest or provide enough resources such that a Too Simple could get to cash flow positive relatively quickly, then I think they could do tremendously well, both guys. Um, and on the other hand, I also think you know companies like Uber, Amazon, and others don't have the pressure of having to make sure that what they're spending money on becomes profitable within three months, six months, twelve months, because you know these are you know companies worth tens or hundreds of billions of dollars of value, and and therefore they they have more resources resources to deploy. Those guys will do okay. The startups that have uh, no core strategic relationship or path to profitability or resources to get there. Unfortunately, those are going to be the guys that have the hardest time, and they're the ones that will need to figure out how do I form a partnership in order to change that structural economic. So we have one more question here, Ben, uh, from our audience, and it's coming from Robert Goach. Uh, he's a national director of sales, and it's what's the secret of companies being able to pivot their supply chains during a pandemic like COVID-19? What's that secret sauce? The secret? Well, <laughs> I wish there were an easy secret. There's there's not. But uh, I think fundamentally, companies trying to pivot their supply chain during COVID-19 have to go from just in time to just in case, right? They have to go from having global extended supply chains where they can run with really low levels of inventory because they're relying on low-cost manufacturing in China or elsewhere. Uh, and that model worked great 2019. doesn't work great today because uh, you can't count on the supply lines being open. So you end up having to shift your manufacturing uh, to somewhere that's, that's reachable by truck. And, of course, that means having manufacturing locations in North America, uh, number one. Number two, it means you have to have closer, more strategic relationships with your 3PLs, your tech providers, and your whole supply chain in order to support that. 
Um, and number three, it means building in more agility, more flexibility into your supply chain. And so, you know, maybe that means that you spend more money on technology uh, in order to be able to make those shifts, you know, more, more readily. And uh, and the payoff of that is you spend more in one area, but then in the long run, you save a lot more in another area. Hey, Ben, I'd like to, uh, you know, you, you've, you've talked a lot in your YouTube videos about Amazon. Of course, they're on, on the top of everybody's mind. And I like the, the, the discussion of Amazon versus everybody who is eventually going to challenge Amazon if they're not really being challenged now. So I, I, my question to you is, who do you think is best suited to challenge Amazon in the e-commerce uh, solely? Is it somebody like Shopify and thousands of other independent uh, retailers? Or is it a bigger, a bigger box store like Amazon and, uh, and Target making a better play, making a more concerted play? In e-commerce? Yeah, great question. So who's best equipped to compete against Amazon? Look, I think one scenario is that you have an e-commerce competitor like a Shopify or an Alibaba. Alibaba may be even stronger. Um, that can create an ecosystem around them, uh, which includes technology as Shopify did with robotics when they bought Six River, uh, or the e-commerce fulfillment companies that they use, or last mile companies or others in the ecosystem around them. I think those guys uh, have a very good uh, strategic position to accomplish that. I think secondly, there are companies, you know, like the retailers and, you know, guys like Walmart and Target that have the ability to say to consumers, you know, you can, uh, you, you can order online and pick up from the store. And that capability uh, seems to be a little bit more valuable, uh, right now, actually, when, when, again, you've got guaranteed access to, uh, you know, to the inventory and the supply chain around them. There's a third possibility too. The third possibility is somebody could, could emerge as kind of a 4PL um, that involves best-of-read players for truck brokerage, warehousing, freight forwarding, um, e-commerce, last mile, autonomous, uh, robotics, kind of uh, all these different subsets of supply chain uh, and could effectively be a, a 4PL supply chain manager uh, organizing the whole thing. I think, and what's interesting to me about that is it's kind of like the battle between, um, between Apple and Google, battle between a, a closed or walled garden uh, and an open ecosystem. So Amazon ultimately may represent that Apple-like model of a walled garden. So there's room for someone to say, well, we're going to come up with an open ecosystem uh, that puts together the best of breed supply chain players in each of those areas. That company may be around right now, but hasn't talked about it yet, uh, or maybe a company that, that hasn't actually been launched yet. But I think there's an opportunity there for sure. Hey, Ben. So we've talked about a couple of your successful deals uh, the past few of our moments together. But what is, uh, what's one lesson you've learned from a deal that went south, that, that didn't go your way, uh, that you've learned from since then? Oh, God. Uh, Sorry to put you on the spot. <laughs> we've all made mistakes. <laughs> we've all made mistakes. You know what? Let me start with my very first company. Um, first company that I started, Threeplex. Um, we had a big vision. We wanted to be a, uh, again, today you'd call it SaaS for logistics. And really our primary focus was using the internet to provide superior optimization of, of supply chain networks by building a better TMS. Um, and we raised a lot of money. We raised 28 million and we spent most of it building out the TMS. And our strategy was to empower the three PLs to succeed. Okay. Uh, the marketing was great, but the sales was terrible. Okay, why was the sales terrible? Uh, sales was terrible because ultimately 3PLs, and this is true 20 years ago, maybe less true today, didn't want to spend seven figures on software for something that we had. They were very happy to pay for it if they could pass it on to a customer. 
right? So effectively, they were like a VAR, a valued reseller. So if a 3PL said, hey, I love this software, and I'm going to use you to go pitch Walmart or you know, so, so, some other end market, great, you know, then, then that would work. Um, but they weren't going to spend the money up front. And so we spent a lot of time and money going down that road uh, before realizing that. And gosh, I wish we'd realized that in the beginning. We could have saved a lot of time and a lot of money. Um, ironically, uh, I think, you know, every, every startup has to learn how to pivot. We had also created a product in drayage that allowed you to match freight with capacity and create a tracking and, and visibility tool, uh, for drayage. So when steamships come into the ports in LA Long Beach or Newark or, or elsewhere, uh, the communication between those steamships and the drayage carriers that do the short haul trucking as they queue up in those ports. Um, and that's a much smaller market. Right. But it turned out that it was a bigger problem that nobody else was solving. And in the end, Maersk, the steamship giant, bought Threeplex uh, and they bought it for a lot less than I would have hoped for and a lot less than what we'd all drawn up in our plans at the very beginning. But they bought it nevertheless. And they bought it because they valued the drayage piece. And so lessons learned. Well, number one uh, was you know, be, as an, as a 26 year old cocky entrepreneur, there was a lot more that I didn't know than that I did know. And a little bit of humility, uh, and, and, you know, re reflection, you know, went a long way. And, and I think still does. That's true for me. And I'm sure it's true for most of us. Um, lesson number two was the idea that we thought was the right idea turned out to be wrong. Um, because fundamentally the 3PL marketplace didn't want to spend the money that we thought they were going to spend, and it required pivoting. And it was, and I think, an important lesson to listen really closely to your customers and be prepared to make changes where and when the market dictates. Um, and then I think lesson number three was uh, I was a guy who had some experience in logistics, but not a lot. I had a family business. My grandfather started a truck leasing company, and I, I had some exposure. But yeah, I wasn't a guy who'd spent 20 years, you know, in operations in logistics. And we put a team together that combined people that knew logistics with people that knew technology. Um, and I think if we'd probably hired a couple of more senior people with experience in logistics to really map the market, the business process, and understand the customer problem before going out and spending as much money as we did on technology, we probably would have gotten to the right answer faster. And so listening to the market uh, and having industry people, uh, you know, on, on, on the front lines, you know, certainly super valuable. So those were three lessons that I learned that um, have helped me in, in the subsequent businesses that I've been involved with. Well, great. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank that was you. a very succinct answer. Uh, a good finish there. This has been a great conversation, man. I, I hope to talk to you again soon and, and have a lovely day. Enjoy the rest of Freight Waves Live. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, Andrew. Great being with you. Thank you. You're welcome, sir. Kevin, so we'll have to have uh, Ben on the on future shows uh, of Great Quarter Guys. Most and, definitely. And really get into... Uh, it's hard to get into a really deep level in, in 20 or 30 minutes on a single topic. We kind of want to talk about a few different things. Right. You know, at the, at the, at the end there, one of the lessons that he, that he almost got to saying it was something mm -hmm. that I, I heard you say on one of your uh, LinkedIn videos the other day is that if, the, if you build it, they will come is kind of that uh, yeah. mantra that we learned. And it's like, that's one thing that he learned that you still got to sell the hell out of it. You do. Yeah. And that's one thing I learned as an entrepreneur too, is that build it and they will come is the worst advice and the worst philosophy uh, you could ever do. And we'll probably talk a little bit about that tomorrow on um, Put That Coffee Down. That's right. With Dooner and, and our great George Abernathy. 
Uh, but let's get to, we have limited time now. Yeah, let's so do the long shorts. Let's, let's, so this my is favorite a, part. Yeah, again, for any of our, our new viewers, we do uh, every week we'll do one or two uh, long shorts, which will either do a company or a general idea that mm-hmm. we're either long or short on, uh, and we'll ask, uh, we'll ask them what they are. So the two, we've got two for you today, Kevin. The first one is SAIA, the LTL yes, company. They, they reported this week they're the fastest growing LTL company in the country, uh, and they've really stopped trying to undercut ODFL uh, on price, and they've really started to focus on service, especially there in the West Coast. Mm-hmm. What do you think about what do you think about SAIA? I, I think they're going to continue the growth. It's, it's been a tough quarter or two for LTL. Uh, LTL, I think, took the, the the biggest hit during the the COVID uh, crisis. Yeah, yeah, the, the pandemic because of volumes and small businesses. I think it's it's going to be a good second half of the year for LTL as small businesses come back online. So definitely long. I think they, they continue their growth. There's there's that market out there. And they have, uh, you know, their, their segment, not really a niche, but their segment that they do really well uh, targeting. Yeah, I've, I've got two reasons I'm long. The first one is they're focused on the West Coast. I think they'll they'll benefit greatly from uh, from that West Coast being able to pick up. And it's, it's likely going to be a slower pickup uh, than the East Coast. But yeah, I think they're positioned well there. And then the other one, I think that shippers are going to uh, test out the market for demand. I think they'll, they'll utilize LTL mm-hmm. a little bit more uh, rather than sending full truckload just to kind of test demand, test the waters, and, and feel out demand. So I think that, that positions all of the LTL carriers. And, and that's a really good SCI. philosophy on demand, right? Because I don't think demand's going to... It's not going to be V-shaped back up to 100%. You're going right. to see 70, 60, 60, 70, 80% uh, demand come back online slowly. So that's a bullish case for LTL companies. Well, good. So we're both long on SAI. Yeah. I've got one last one for you, uh, and it is about airline passengers. This is something that you've been very adamant about on, uh, on LinkedIn. He's been posting a lot about it. Uh, so I have a question for you. If, do you believe that air passengers will average 1.5 million passengers per, for an entire month at any point in 2020? And some data here that, that will give you some context. In 2019, the, it ranged between 2 million and 2.5 million every day of the year. Uh, they're currently running about 7% of 2019 levels. Uh, but that number has bu- uh, almost doubled off the bottom. So they're up 25% uh, in just the past two weeks. But again, only running single digits of 2019 numbers. Yeah, so, so in, in April, it got down to 90,000. So, and this is the TSA passenger check-in. I've been following this pretty closely. It's fascinating data because uh, last April 2019, you had, say, roughly 2.5 million passengers a day going through TSA checkpoints. It got down to 90,000. It, it, you know, the last couple of days, it's been 170, 180,000. So it's doubled off that bottom, but you, you can't even put it onto a year-over-year chart. You can't yeah. really see any movement because the scale is, is so high. Uh, you've seen uh, Delta, Southwest, American, United all saying that they're going to be a much smaller airline. Uh, cutting flights, 90%. Ryanair in Europe, 99% uh, flight cuts. So, And they're all saying it's going to be two or three years before we get back to anywhere near normal levels. So I am short airline passengers for for any time in 2020 averaging what 50 percent which is about Uh, 1.2 million yeah about about half roughly roughly half i am going to go short that just because uh i i think until you get a vaccine being in a cabin full of other strangers from all over the world is 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 scary 
Yeah, I am short as well. I think uh, just a quick note is if Warren Buffett's out, if he's seeing something, yes. there, there must be something in the water. He's, he's of course, sold all of his airline stocks. Uh, and his reason was he doesn't think business travel will ever pick up to nor- new, new uh, to pre-crisis levels. I mean, look at how Zoom is impacting yeah. uh, business meetings. Look at us right now. The virtual conference. Virtual conference. Right Nobody had to travel to Atlanta to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, we're, and we're moving right along. So. I think we're short too. I think airlines is going to be short, I, and that actually yes. that, that brings us towards uh, towards yes. a close. We've this is the end of episode twenty seven for Great Quarter Guys. We've got uh, we've got some amazing stuff coming up. Shelly Simpson, Simpson from JB uh, Hunt yes, is the doing a queen of logistics coming up. Uh,